0: What a delight it is once again to be in this place and to be with you. We are thankful for each one that's here this morning, and we direct your attention to an Old Testament passage of Scripture found in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We're going to start there, but we're going to be moving through several places in the Scriptures. The new birth gives us such a new view of the Bible. I remember before the Lord saved me that the Old Testament was a historical book and when I read Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there was not much significance to it. Okay, there's going to be someone come to take care of a problem, but I didn't realize the problem in his capacity, total capacity. Here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, after Adam sinned, after he fell, after darkness came, after they hid themselves in the garden, after they covered themselves with fig leaves, after the catastrophic event that took place in disobedience to Almighty God, we find here that God comes to them and shares with them a promise that He has made in the covenant of grace. This we find as the first written time that God shared that he's going to deal with the problem, but he has before the foundation written in the covenant of grace. This is how I'm going to take care of the problem, even before it took place. I will, God said, I will. You know, we find two things in the scriptures. He said, I will, and he says, you shall. Our will is not going to accomplish anything. We're thankful that he makes us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is the foundation stone of our salvation at the very beginning, in the middle, and the end. He is the foundation stone. All right. I will put enmity. Now that's a verse, a comment that we find brought out in the book of Romans. He said that we by nature are enmity with God. We're enmity. Now, that's more than being upset. That means we are at warfare with God. We have nothing that God is interested in, and we are completely uh, against Him. I've shared this morning with Daniel uh, that when I heard the gospel the first time, my comment about the preacher was, I hate that man. I found out I was mad at the postman. He was delivering the message. I was angry with God because I found out that what I had been had my whole hope on was not a true foundation. It was sand. All right, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and he's speaking to the serpent. Now I'm glad that Adam and Eve got to be hearers of this, but he is speaking to the serpent, and he says, I'm going to deal with you in time. But the most important thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to come as the seed of the woman and I am going to ransom <clears throat> fallen Israel, I'm going to ransom my people, I'm going to ransom my children. He says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What a wonderful statement. And it is so much more wonderful when we realize that God had an interest in saving his people before the foundation of the world. We find out that in God had uh, uh, mentioned there, he delivered. He was delivered. Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That he had an interest in saving a people before the people ever had a need for the, for salvation. God was not surprised when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. He knew exactly what was going to happen. In fact, in fact, we find there was a lamb set aside, slain from the foundation of the world. It is not a covenant. This covenant of grace is not a covenant that God made with man. It is a covenant that God made in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed in the covenant of grace to save a people for the glory of God and for the glory of the church. Now, we're not the participants in that covenant as we were in the covenant that God gave to Moses. He said, you keep this and I'll do this. And they could not keep that. And we find out, in fact, he said, I regarded that not. I've just, it's a gone. It, that covenant is over. There's no longer any need for it because the covenant of grace has been brought through the blood of Jesus Christ, Nobody is saved any differently in the Old Testament than they're saved today. They're saved by the same gospel, we find. Abraham had the gospel preached unto him as it was preached then. We find that Adam had the gospel preached unto him. Abel had the gospel preached unto him. And the same thing is necessary as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know, in the Old Testament, we hear about the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah, that's what we read about in here. And then we find in the New Testament, the word that we so often pronounce, Christ, is the same word as Messiah in the Old Testament. The Messiah is here. His name is Jesus. We have found him who the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. All right, would you turn with me over to the New Testament for just a reading? Here in the book of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 we find these wonderful words that are given with regard to the coming of the Messiah in Luke chapter 2. Now, all through the Old Testament, we found out that there was someone going to deliver this child. We just heard it, a virgin shall conceive. You know, I don't know about you, but in religion, I said, how can that happen? Well, when we read the scriptures, we find that God is all-powerful. He could do all things, and it When you just think about it for a moment, what power it took for God to put some dirt together in the form of a human being and breathe into the nostrils of that dirt person, of the dust of the ground, breathe into his nostrils, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. That is as great as a virgin conceiving. God did that on purpose because he did not want any human uh, sin brought into the equation. He performed it in such a way that this person that was going to be born of a virgin would not have Adam's nature. He would become a man. He would have flesh and blood like all those that needed to be died for, ransomed, but he did not have what we have, and that is sin. And we pass that on to every generation. I can blame my dad for it. He can blame his dad for it. He can blame his dad for it. And my children can blame me for it because I passed it on. The man passes it on and that's why it was necessary that that, uh, Joseph was not in the equation of that firstborn son. This son was born of God. This son was put in the womb of Mary. This son was carried for nine months. This son who was in the glory, had the glory with the Father before the world was, this son was humiliated and put into a womb and captured for nine months and then born like all of us were born. And that son grew. We find him at the temple at eight days old. We find him in the temple at 12 years old. We find him later at 30 years old. And he began his personal ministry and shares with us continuously the reason that he came. He came and he did some wonderful things in his life. But the goal of his ministry was lay down my life, a ransom for many. All right. Here in the book of of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1, it came to pass in those days. Now, this is the right day. This is the right day. It came to pass in those days. Now, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the emperor over this part of the world. You know, it's interesting when we begin to think about it. Nancy and I have done a little travel in Europe, and we found out almost every country we visited was under the influence of the Roman Empire. France, Italy, much of of, of Spain, Portugal, much of Germany, Turkey, Egypt, Greece, Romania, Israel, Lebanon, Tunisia, Belgium, Croatia, Albania were all under the influence of the Roman Empire and you know what? This same decree went out to them. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus to the Roman Empire. Now in our translation it says that all the world should be taxed. Well, we we look at that word world and we find out that that word world meant the Roman Empire at that time. There was a decree from Caesar Augustus that they should be enrolled. That's what that word means. It should be enrolled for future taxation. Now, this is going to happen several times, but it went out to the known Roman world. The English isles were not under Roman influence at this time, but they would be. And here we have, they, and they all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. You know, as I think about that, by water. If you travel from Rome to Jerusalem through the Mediterranean Sea, that is 1,434 miles by old sailboat. If it traveled by road, it's 2,500 miles. So between the time that Caesar Augustus made this decree and the time the decree got to Nazareth, where Joseph lived, has been some time. Isn't God's clock perfect? The exact right time Caesar Augustus was used. He was a pawn in the hand of God. He was a man that God used for his glory. He brought about this decree that would move Mary and Joseph to be in exactly the right place, Bethlehem, to fulfill the scriptures written by Micah the prophet. The exact place, at the exact time, and this is what God does. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. At the exact moment, the right time, the very right time, we find this happen. And it goes on to tell us that Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Now, that's his hometown. That's where he lives. His post office box is Nazareth in Galilee. But he is insisted upon. I, this just carries with me such interest that that decree was so pronounced that Joseph and a whole bunch of other folks, because remember all of the rooms in Bethlehem have been taken? This is not just a decree to, to Joseph and to Mary. This is a decree to all the people that had a, their hometown where David was, was Bethlehem. And they're called, and they have to go. And we find out that Mary is great with child. In fact, she's at nearly the limit. Great with child. The scriptures tell us as they got there, so they went there. And verse 6 the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So while she's there, there's so much hustle and bustle in Bethlehem because of this decree that. There is no room for them in the inn, and she brings forth her firstborn son, and that's what the scriptures tell us. You know, I was talking to a young man, and I think I shared this with several of you, talking to a young man this last week, and I mentioned that Jesus had several half-brothers and half-sisters. Really? I didn't know that. Well, in the book of Matthew, it says, you know, we know he's the carpenter's son, and we know his brothers, and the list is Joseph, or James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, that's the four brothers, and also his sisters. So at least six other children were born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus. So it's very important when we read in the scriptures that she brought forth her firstborn son. This is the impeccable one. This is the one without sin. This is the promised one. This is the one born of a virgin. The rest were born in the same way that you and I were all born. I don't know how many times recently I've asked people, and when we're discussing the gospel, how much did you have to do with your physical birth? And you know the answer every one of them given me? Nothing. And I said, that's how much you have to do with your spiritual birth. (coughs) Nothing. It's taken care of for us on our behalf in the covenant of grace. So we find here that they went, they uh, delivered her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. We find out that the king of the Jews, we find out the governor. In the Old Testament, he shall be governor over the world. This one, the Lord Jesus Christ, was brought forth into such or circumstances. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He gave over himself from the glory that he had with the Father. He was brought into this world in the most humble circumstances. His mother and father were poor people from Nazareth. You know what one of the disciples said about Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, we're thankful he was born in Bethlehem because that's the fulfillment of scriptures. But he grew up in Nazareth, which from all historical views was a very wicked place, just like the Dowds or Beaverton <laughs> or wherever you live. There is no place that we can escape the consequences of the fall. We think we can by moving to a place if we're all alone, and we still can't because we carried it right with us. We carry the consequences of the fall with us. It's a heart problem. We have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and we need someone that is able to take care of a heart problem. And this is the person Christ Jesus our Lord, as it's contained in the everlasting gospel, that he will give us a new heart. What does that say about that then? That will love me. That's what he does. He gives us a new heart that we're capable, finally, of loving God. Goes on to tell us here that it says, and there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have the shepherd, the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, here lying in a manger, and at the same time there are shepherds demonstrating what it is To watch over their flock by night. I appreciate what I read in the Old Testament about the Lord. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He's watching over his flock by day and night. He takes care of his flock day and night. He takes care of all their needs day and night. And he takes care of our sin day and night. It has all been put on him. These that were watching their flocks by night... And now something happens. You know, the angels were even surprised at this, I believe. They look in to see things about the gospel because the gospel is not made known to them. The gospel is only made known to humans. Now, we read in the scriptures that a third of the angels fell on purpose by God's decree. The rest, they look in to see if they cannot behold the gospel. Well, here they're going to see the the, uh, God, the very God. In fact, it tells us over there in the book of John that the word became flesh. The word became flesh. God became flesh. His name is called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. The Word became flesh. God became flesh. Well, we find out why. For the suffering of death, a body thou hast prepared for me. It is absolutely necessary that this one, this Son of God, because of His great work in the covenant of grace, this Son of God would come, just like we read here, just like the Bible describes it and declares it, that he would come and lay down, as he said he would do, lay down his life, a ransom for many. That's why he came. Now, there's a lot of other benefits to that. We find that a man at the pool of Siloam, there was a benefit, he got up and walked away. A woman with a great issue of blood, she was healed. We find that three people that we know of were raised from the dead, physically. All of these things happened, but the scriptures tell us that he was He faced, he charged, he put his face as a flint towards Jerusalem and the cross. That's why he came. It says here, these angels, they had never seen him like this. They knew him as God Almighty. They'd never seen him in such a humiliated form. They'd never observed him this way. And I'm sure they ask among themselves, why is this happening? And then we find out that because of this, God can set his people free. It says the angels, fear not, for behold, we bring good tidings. That's the gospel. We're talking to you. What is the gospel? You know, the scriptures tell us uh, Jesus Christ did not come to bring tidings. Peace to this world turn with me if you would keep your finger right there, but turn with me if you would over to the book of Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 verse 34 we find the Lord Jesus Christ himself now we're gonna to have to take his word for it He said it We're going to believe it. We're not going to be looking for peace in this world There's going to be wars and rumors of wars until the end there was war in the garden. There was war among two brothers. There's been war and hostility between mankind since the very beginning, and it will continue. Notice with me here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Now, we're going to read over here in the book of Luke that they said, Behold, uh, I'll send peace to those who God has chosen. Yes. All right. Behold. Think not that I have come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foe shall be they of his own household. Have you attempted to share the gospel with someone close to you and have them say, that's enough? I don't want to hear anymore. I don't believe it. Well, that's what we do. It doesn't cause us to stop, but it does. We find out exactly what our nature was like before the Lord saved us. I had a young man tell me the other day, I wish I knew you before you were born again. And I says, I'm looking at me. I'm looking at me right there. Religious to the core and not having any hope or love for God in this world. He that verse 38 he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it; he that loseth his life shall for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me; he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that per- receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And who shall give drink unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water, only in the name of the disciple? Verily I say unto him, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What does he say? I'll not bring peace. Now turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10, keeping that in mind. I will not bring earthly peace. That is not his goal, never has been, never will be, until he comes again. And then there will be eternal and everlasting peace. There will never be anybody to get upset with anybody about anything. When we are in the presence of the Lord, he will take away the nature that we're born with and we'll never be upset again. We will not have high blood pressure over that driver that just cut us off. We will have no issues. We will be at peace. Why? Because we read here in the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 15. It says here, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. What is that peace? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times I've heard at funerals, I hope they made peace with God. That's an impossibility. Natural man cannot make peace with God. There is one that made peace with God. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous, and in him we have peace with God. And that and that alone will never make it on our own. He will not accept us on our own. We must be in Christ. We must have Christ, or he will not accept us. That's why it is so important that God would bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, We can't produce it. We don't have the capabilities. We're far from it. We are lost and bound for a devil's hell without the grace of God. And so his grace is brought to us and is called the gospel of peace. And that's what we find these angels are going to be speaking about over here in the book of Luke. Would you back up there again to the book of Luke chapter 2? In Luke chapter 2, we read, as we further read this passage of Scripture, it's so full of the gospel, it's more than just a story about a baby being born, gifts being given. It is the story of the incarnation. God come in the flesh, and he came in the flesh for a reason. He needed to have the body like unto those The children of Abraham, he needed to have a body like those because those without him would have to suffer the realization of sin in their flesh. The soul that sinneth, it must die. And God said, there's going to be my son suffer or they will. And so he came in a body so that it could be put to death. That's our salvation. It must be put to death. The preacher said that if I was there, I I would not allow that to happen. He doesn't understand what it's all about. He doesn't understand the incarnation and the necessity of this one coming and being a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is our hope and this is our salvation. Back in the book of Luke there, we read in verse, I believe, verse 8, there were in shepherds, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. You know, it's interesting that so often in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is Christ. Pre-incarnate Christ. Could it be while he laid in the manger, he also appeared? The angel of the Lord appeared to some shepherds. And the angel of the Lord brought this good news. It tells us there in verse 11. Well, verse 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all peoples. You know this, the gospel is going to preach, be preached to every nation, kindred, people, and tongue for one reason. That in those places where the gospel is preached, there is somebody that God intended to hear it because their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is reason for the gospel being preached there. It's not wasted on them. It is necessary that the gospel be preached. I bring you good tidings. I bring you the gospel of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem. Now, that's a wonderful word, Savior. Savior. What does that mean? You know, in religion, you don't think much about it. But if you have a savior, that means somebody needs to be saved. Day before yesterday, Nancy and I were over on the coast, and our daughter mentioned there's a plaque over there on the ground at Rockaway Beach. A plaque in memorial, and I don't remember the guy's name. It says, He who was swept away to sea while trying to save a friend he had never met. Now that's inscribed on a piece of stone right there at Rockaway Beach. His name, he was swept away to sea trying to save a friend he had never met. Someone was drowning. They tried to save him and lost his own life. Now, I can't call him a savior, can you? You know that's what religion is? Trying to save? But here we have a savior, someone who can actually save his people from their sin. Someone who actually was predetermined to save people from their sin. He is a savior that actually saves. That was the the worst news I ever heard until I was saved, and then that became the best news. What do you mean, I'm not involved in this? No, he's a savior that actually saves. And I liked another thing that that preacher said. He's a redeemer that actually redeems his people. He's a ransomer that actually ransoms his people. He took care of the business of it. This is the savior. And it says there, which is Christ. Now, in some translations, that word has been translated Messiah, even in the New Testament. No, we we kind of grasp that just a little bit because we've been spending all that time reading in the Old Testament and all that through the Old Testament we read about a Messiah coming and here we find he's called Christ. Well, just translate that to Messiah and you'll get a grip on this because he is the one that was promised in the Garden of Eden to do a duty to save his people from their sins and this Messiah was written in the Lamb's Book of Life Long, in the covenant of grace, long before the world ever began, in old eternity, Messiah was written about, and here he is, Christ the Lord. Now that mentions a whole lot about him, and is so often left out. Solitarsus understood that word once he was born again. You know the first word out of his mouth after he was saved was Lord? Master, Savior. He had something happen to him on that road to Damascus that we pray will happen to all of our families, our friends, our neighbors. Known unto God are those names written in the Lamb's book of life. It is our privilege to share with them the good news. As that angel said, I bring you good tidings, of glad, glad tidings of good joy. There's a Savior been born down there in Bethlehem. Well, that Savior was born. He grew up. He had a three year and a three and a half year ministry. And at the end of that ministry, he declares, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. The Romans could say, Well, we crucified him by permission. By permission of Almighty God in the covenant of grace. Well, Pilate could say, I had him crucified by permission. The Lord told Pilate, he said, you can't do anything without permission. I'm in charge of this. He was in charge of his arrest. He was in charge of his trial. He was in charge of all the lashes that got to his back. He was in charge of the crown of thorns put on him. We find that they were doing exactly what natural man wanted to do with God, but it was by permission only. He went to the cross by God's permission. And he hung on that cross because God in the covenant of grace said there must be, there must be someone that would ransom the people, and it must be someone that has the body of my people, but it must also be God. God come in the flesh. Preaching this wonderful news. In Bethlehem of Judea, he was born so long ago. But you know, he never said a thing about his birth. His parents didn't mention it. The apostles didn't mention it. The rest of the Bible mentions nothing about his birth. You know what they mention? His life, his miracles, his word, and his death. But we're thankful it doesn't stop there because it is culminated three days later in his resurrection. When he came out of the tomb victorious over sin, death, Hell in the grave. Joseph and Mary went down there. Turn with me, if you would, into the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, we find some words that give us some understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose that he came. Yes, he was born. He was born of a virgin. And you know what? She didn't remain that way. She's not to be prayed to. I thanked the Lord for her. God said, you are a chosen vessel. Well, guess what? Everyone that's saved is a chosen vessel. She rejoiced in God her salvation, just like that old man came up, raised Jesus up, and said, now I can die in peace. I've seen my salvation. No, everyone that's ever saved is a chosen vessel of God. And here we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's why he came, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. We follow that out. He doesn't mean that he's going to die for everybody in the world. I've visited with a young man for three years now, and he's got people that God died for in hell. And I said, that's not good salvation. That's not deliverance. That means he did not accomplish anything. That means it's all up to me. And I find that that is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. All right. In Hebrews chapter 10, would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. This is why it came. This is why it was incarnate. This is why the word became flesh. This is why. It says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Wherefore? When, we, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. You know what? God said, I'm fed up with the sacrifices. They mean nothing. They have meant nothing to Israel for so long. It was just a tradition. Just like almost all religions. Just nothing more than a tradition. But I'm not, that's not what I'm in, interested in anymore. I'm not interested in the Passover anymore. I'm not pa- interested in sacrifices anymore? I'm not interested in the temple anymore. You know, God was so serious about that statement in AD 70. He just said, let's take care of it and got rid of that temple. Well, it says here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure, but lo, But said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above when he says, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And then, if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans, chapter 5, as we think of the Incarnation, for one reason, for the suffering of death. He did so much. You know, John said, if all the things that Jesus had done had been written down, there would not be room in the world to write it. We have the outline. You know, we have everything God intended for us to have. And everything that is written, God can use to bring to our old crusty heart the grace of God in salvation. Everything. Everything. Here in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 19, we read these words. For as by one man's disobedience, who's that? Adam. It's interesting that when we look over there, that when Eve ate that fruit, whatever it was, if you want to call it an apple, that's fine. You want to call it a peach, that's fine. You want to call it a watermelon, that's fine. I don't care. There's no record of what it was. It was the fruit of the tree. When Eve ate that, she had nothing happen. She was not the responsible party. When she gave it to Adam and he did eat, darkness fell, they died spiritually instantaneously, no longer had any interest in God, In fact, they were afraid of God. They ran from God. They covered themselves with a religious formality called fig leaves and God found them in the Garden of Eden. They didn't come looking for him. Here it says, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Not our righteousness, but his imputed righteousness given to us And that great transaction that God calls the new birth. You must be born again. It's not by our works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. And so I bring you good tidings of great joy. He's been here. He went to the cross. He was raised from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's waiting for the last sheep to be saved when he wraps this whole thing up. And we meet him in the air with great victory, his victory. Brother Mike.